Five o'clock in pirate country, and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In five, four, three, two, one. Lock it in, turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Nice call, Ben. I like it. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome in. Yeah. I like it. Uh, great to have you with us. Hurricane Estayas. Estayas. Did I say that correctly? Estayas. I've phonetically spelled it out here on my paper and everything. I'm going to take your word for it. Estayas. We're in some trouble here. We're tracking of the tropics. Hurricane I. Uh, Hurricane I. We have a lot of people, uh, or a lot of things to get to here today. Uh, Mike Houston, it was the opening day of uh, ECU's fall camp. Pirates first to take uh, snaps in the nation in that uh, fall camp setting. So we're going to have for you uh, some comments post-practice from earlier today from uh, Mike Houston. And uh, as part of that special Zoom meeting, John Gilbert made an appearance. There's some interesting things that he said there that I want to make sure we get to today. Uh, We've also got... uh, uh, WNCT First Alert Weather Meteorologist David Sawyer uh, in our next segment to tell us what's going on with this hurricane. Uh, they just put out the 5 o'clock advisory, so we'll, we'll see where this thing is tracking and what you need to do this weekend to get ready. Uh, we have a voluminous cut roster. Uh, Brian Geisinger is scheduled to join us today from accsports.com. Pat Forty wrote an article for Sports Illustrated, our elusive guest, uh, Pat Forty, that uh, kind of lays out that the SEC kind of slapped around the ACC a little bit. Uh, we'll get Geisinger on uh, to discuss that. If, if we don't, we'll, we'll definitely talk about it. We can get it posted up on social media as well. But uh, that that just kind of shows you that, that this so-called P5 group is not really in it together. They are to a certain extent. But uh, this is interesting, some of uh, 40s. I don't know if you call them accusations or, or some of the things that Forty said uh, happened in there. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's go ahead and get it started with our pirate report because we got a lot of things to get to. Uh, before we do, hello to our uh, producer Ben Byram producing today. Hey, man! Somebody's excited to hear see me here. <laughs> Someone is. <laughs> Uh, it is the uh, Get You to the Weekend uh, Feel Good Edition here. Patrick Johnson Show. A little happy hour edition. Uh, let's uh, start with our pirate report, shall we? And now, Patrick Johnson with today's pirate report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. Uh, Mike Houston talked about uh, his team taking the field for the first time. In several months, as a, uh, a unit in an organized practice, hit it. It's uh, first time that we've been on the field together since last December uh, in, a, in, a, in a football setting. Um, it looked like it. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know, it looked like we had been uh, away from Big John, our strength and conditioning staff, for four months. Uh, I think that uh, it probably gave um, all of our players and staff a greater appreciation for the tremendous job that. Uh, that our, that our strength conditioning group does, uh, you know, throughout the year with our players. Um, and I told the players, I mean, it's, it's not something we didn't expect. Uh, uh, I knew that uh, we would not be in near the physical uh, shape that we have been uh, in preseasons in the past with our program. Um, but, uh, but it is where we are. It's our starting point. And uh, he discussed uh, sort of the structure of the practices uh, or of, of day one's practice. We had a, a practice not quite as long as uh, we typically would on day one, but uh, probably got uh, just as many reps. Uh, you know, we're having to structure practice differently uh, because of some of the protocols that are in place. Um, and, you know, the positive of that is uh, a lot of guys are getting a lot of reps. And I think that's good for a young football team. 
Ben, let's skip ahead to uh, 19 here. Uh, Mike Houston talked about the post-practice uh, talk uh, and how that is a little different than, uh, you know, most post-practice uh, talks are, uh, especially on, on uh, day one. And you spend half of your post-practice talk now talking about make sure you wear your mask, uh, make sure we're socially distanced when we're eating lunch. Uh, here's how the training room is going to work with COVID uh, policies. Uh, it's just so much stuff that we're having to do with that stuff that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult to manage as far as keeping the players really dialed in to also preparing to get ready to play a game, uh, you know, in about a month. And uh, he was asked, uh, was Coach Houston, when about the emotions of returning uh, to the field today. This is uh, what Mike Houston had to say. Excited. Uh, you know, everybody was early on the field. Uh, we had a great buzz and energy to start practice. Uh, the guys were really enthusiastic. But certainly, I think this whole thing has made all of us, not that we didn't appreciate, uh, you know, what we do already, but just really – a tremendous appreciation for the opportunities we have daily to to be with these young men, uh, to, 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 to have the job that we have. You know, I think the players there are appreciative of having the opportunities they have. So just a lot of excitement. All right, I'm going to uh, – I'm skipping around a little bit here, Ben, uh, and I even called it audible from the last audible I gave you because uh, I see the blitz coming from the outside. Uh, this was a good question here. Um uh, who asked this? Uh, two four seven sports asked this, and uh, this was, you know, how they're spread out now for these practices. Mike Houston described uh, some of that. Go ahead, Steve. I'm really comfortable with ten games right now, uh, and, and I'm not saying that we won't add a game. I just want to be very deliberate when we. Yeah, I'm sorry. I meant to have you play uh, Mike Houston uh, cut 23. I, I I realized in my elaborate setup, I didn't actually tell you which cut to play. Uh, <laughs> Plus, you also got me on the sub drop. Uh, but this is cut 23. And again, it was a 247. It, it does make some good sense to me. You know, the practices are spread out. And, and when you hear Mike Houston describe this, this is a vast um, – operation and uh, they need a lot of room out there with over a hundred guys. So this is cut 23. My bad, Ben. I, I, I told you to zig when I needed you to zag. So uh, this is cut 23. Go ahead, Steve. We're practicing basically on three different fields uh, and you kind of have, you know, multiple practices going on at the same time. Uh, it's really stretched our coaching staff extremely thin. Uh, so, um, but you know, it's, it's something that we have to do right now. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a deal where we're trying to keep the guys when they're not in the uh, either seven on seven, nine on nine, 11 on 11, whatever it is that we're in, we're trying to keep the guys really spaced out if they're not involved in that direct drill. So on the sidelines, um, you know, everybody's spaced, spaced out. If they have their helmet off, they got their mask up. Um, you know, you, you really got it. It's a deal where you got to, um, you know, really be cautious right there, but, you know, they have to keep that mask up if they don't have their face covering on, if they don't have their helmet on. So um, it's – I got to stay on them about it because we're all creatures of habit. We all revert back to, okay, we it's a, it's a water break. They all swarm to the same place, even though you got water set up all over the place. Um, we just got to keep reminding them, keep harping on them. We've got to be diligent about just, uh, you know, distancing. Have your mask up if your helmet's off. Uh, be conscientious of, uh, you know, washing your hands when you come off the field, all those things. Yeah, uh, boy, it's just a lot to go through, isn't it? And I, and I don't think we appreciate how vast and planned out this has to be. And I mean, this, you know, just goes on at the college level, the pro level, even the high school level, everything that coaches and support staff and trainers are having to do to make sure that all these guidelines are followed is, is amazing. And I just, I thought that was a remarkable bit of insight to what exactly they're having to do. And could you just imagine Ben playing, having a helmet on and a face mask in this heat? No, oh, I, know. I hope no, I hope not. I don't even want I mean, to imagine. No, I mean, it's just brutal. It's just brutal. Uh, so we started off this conversation. John Gilbert uh, was on before Mike Houston, and that was great because we obviously had some questions in wake of the SEC announcement yesterday. Um, 
our friends at uh, Pirate Analysis, uh, Daniel Shepard's reporting on some possible dates uh, that those games could be made up uh, with Norfolk State and uh, with uh, South Carolina. In fact, John Gilbert addressed that. If we have time, we'll get to that later on. Here's one of the big headlines from today, though. And this was John uh, Gilbert, director of athletics, talking about uh, the Pirates, even though they're down to 10 games right now, not necessarily being in a hurry to add any additional games to the schedule just yet. I know there are a lot of questions about if we'll add games, and, and there's really no answer to that right now. We're going to figure that out in due time. I want to be very mindful and deliberate of what we do. Uh, right now on the schedule, as it sits, we have 10 games. Uh, we still have Marshall non-conference. Uh, I spoke to Mike Hamrick last night at Marshall. Uh, we still are committed to playing that game. Uh, and then we also have the Georgia State game on October 3rd to comprise uh, our two non-conference games. So I want to be uh, very patient and very deliberate uh, as we decide whether we're going to add games or not. Okay, so uh, that then uh, takes us back to Mike Houston, who was asked uh, during his portion of this uh, post-practice Zoom virtual press conference. Uh, about kind of the mentality and practicing with the, the you're going to be playing football in less than a month, the season opener against Marshall, because as John Gilbert said there, we are likely uh, that game is on as of now. Don't know if it'll be that day. Gilbert actually mentioned, I don't know if it was in that cut. I don't believe it was where he, he talked about it could be, you know, moved to the 12th because Marshall had a game scheduled with Pitt that won't be played now. So there was a little wiggle room there. Uh, let's, uh, though, go back to Mike Houston, who talks about the mentality going into uh, the fact that you're still going to try to play on the 29th. You know, I, what I talk to the players about after practice is, you know, we can't worry about anything past today and tomorrow. I mean, I, we've got to have a very, very uh, short focus. Uh, you know, we've got to focus on, uh, you know, this afternoon and getting, getting ready for tomorrow morning's practice and having a better practice tomorrow than what we had today. I think that's got to be where we are right now. It's just been – We've been through too much. Uh, there's been too much taken away. Uh, you know, for us, I really don't care when we play. You know, I don't care when we play. don't care where we play. Uh, we'll be ready, but we can't worry about that right now. We've really got to – more so than ever, we've got to really focus on us right now and our preparation. And this is the uh, importance of uh, playing that Marshall game symbolically. This was a uh, courtesy of uh, the big five. And uh, this is, uh, let me see here, cut uh, 25. Uh, Coach Houston on the importance of playing the Marshall game. I do. Um, you know, I, long before I was the, the head coach at East Carolina University, you know, you knew about the plane crash. And then all of us have seen the movie. And certainly it's, you know, it's a tragic event. Uh, that really led to an inspirational resurgence in their program there. And I think no one can deny the connections between the two programs. Um, and I, I think it's something that we should, uh, you know, commemorate. Uh, we should remember. We should remember those that lost their lives. Uh, we should remember the way, you know, Marshall pushed on. We should also remember the way that there, you know, the rivalry that there was between the two schools. So I think for so many reasons, this game is an important one um, and not that, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's more important than our conference games, but I think it's a very important one from, from many standpoints. Uh, so uh, that is uh, Mike Houston there in the post uh, conference. Uh, we got to get a break here, but one more thing before we go uh, to break here, Ben, that I want to finish with, and this was John Gilbert. Let me find it here on our roster. We got a ton of audio today, uh, but he, he talked about uh, the attendance and uh, no decisions have been made yet. That's cut five. Play that really quick. Uh, you know, this is something we had updated you on when we were one of the only media, in fact, I think the only radio station in the market that uh, covered his uh, chamber luncheon last week where he addressed the community as a whole. And uh, John had, had talked about this, but in that week's time or week and a half uh, worth of time, no new guidance on uh, fans in the stands. This is John Gilbert cut five on that. We have not made any final decisions yet as it relates to fan attendance, but I do know that we will have a limited capacity with safety provisions in place. 
Uh, we will follow local state guidelines and fully understand that protocols could change from week to week. Uh, we're preparing for all different scenarios, uh, just like every school in the country. Uh, I would our, let our fan base know that in the next uh, couple weeks, we will communicate everything once we have a final determination of our plan. All right, that wraps up today's Pirate Report. Uh, there's a few more things we can get to. Uh, plus, there'll be another media availability with Coach Houston over the weekend. So we'll have all of this covered for you either later in today's show with uh, more audio from John Gilbert and, and Coach Houston or uh, Monday uh, on uh, our uh, uh, Trying to Reason with the Hurricane Season edition. Speaking of which, uh, David Sawyer, he is the WNCT First Alert weather team member, meteorologist, long time in the market. We trust him. Great local knowledge. So we're going to, uh, when we return, have him join us, it appears. And uh, we're going to give you an update on this uh, hurricane that has uh, got its sights set on North Carolina and what you need to do this weekend to get ready for it here uh, in the east. So uh, that is uh, what we've got for you. And we'll have uh, David Sawyer when we return on the PJ Show. Here we go. We're back. Back to the P-Man. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Into this house we're born. Into this world we're thrown. Like a dog without a bone and actor out of now we're gonna be riding it out gosh i hope we don't have to uh let's uh go to the uh, phone lines here on this uh friday wnct first alert weather meteorologist david sawyer i call him coach because he uh coached my ball team in high school <laughs> coach sawyer yep, with sir. us uh here uh all right so we have hurricane isaias did i say that correctly very well done, Patrick. I, I want to give you an A plus on that pronunciation. Great Look, job! He, he, I, I told ladies and gentlemen, he also taught me in school, and that's the first time I've had an A plus from him. So there you go. <laughs> You're too hard on yourself. Brother. You're too <laughs> tough on yourself, Patrick. Patrick, you you and I we had a had a great time throughout your high school years, and of course, uh, just honored to be a part of your program today. And I, again, I, I give you a, a, a very, very high score on your pronunciation of uh, Isaias, and it's it's. Um, <laughs> I believe I'm correct here. Um, in fact, in fact, Patrick, let's you and I, because I need as much practice as I can get. To be honest right. with you, uh, it's uh, it, in just a just a quick little uh, just a little side sidebar. Uh, comment here you know the the names of the storms tropical storms and hurricanes are developed by a team uh in what's called the world meteorological organization or the wmo and how that comes together representatives from all the nations that are impacted by tropical systems of course, uh, in the Caribbean specifically, um, and of course, we uh, are affected as well in the United States, uh, nations that are impacted by tropical cyclones or tropical systems uh, have input in the names. And of course, in uh, to, to honor and to recognize the different languages that are spoken in, in these nations that are impacted, that's why we have Spanish names, we have some French derivative or French mm -hmm. names, we have English names. So I believe I'm correct here, and I will stand corrected if I'm not right, but I've done a little research. I believe this pronunciation is a Portuguese, port um, because the Spanish pronunciation is a little bit different, but, but the English name Isaiah is is what this name this name with the letter i is for this mm. particular uh year so mm -hmm. i believe it's the portuguese pronunciation so isaias is is the way i'm pronouncing it and i hope that's correct patrick but i give you well, a high score as well you did well, great with that so isaias is is the way right. i believe it's correctly pronounced coach i grew up in kinston <laughs> Isaias is what I'm going to call it right go, now. Go for Isaias. it. Yeah, that's or, right. or, or as we need to call it, the hurricane. All right. The uh, hurricane. Yes, sir. Just Let's get to it. A, yes, sir. Yeah, we mm -hmm. just had a 5 o'clock alert. Uh, I'm going to give this to you to kind of give us the very latest on, on what that's saying and what the track looks like right now. 
Yes, sir. And in all seriousness, of course, I always enjoy uh, any time you invite me to be on your show. And of course, we want to certainly focus now, as as I know our listeners want to know the very latest on this this hurricane. You're right. It is a hurricane. Uh, hurricane Isaias. It's a, it's a, I'll get it right. The hurricane has 75, <laughs> yeah. 75 mile per hour winds sustained and it's moving toward the northwest. Uh, right now, just to, just to jump straight ahead because I know those in the 94.3 listening area, we want to know what could be coming toward eastern North Carolina. So I certainly do not want to delay that lead information. Uh, it looks like we could be dealing with uh, impacts from this particular hurricane which could be a tropical storm. And I do not want to, us to drop our guard because the official forecast has it downgraded. And in our conversation today, Patrick, I look forward to giving you my thoughts as to why the official forecast has it uh, you know, going to a tropical storm status before it reaches eastern North Carolina on Monday. But that is the operative timeline right now, looking like this will have direct impacts on eastern North Carolina on Monday. So now is the time uh, if you have interest, especially along the North Carolina coast. And again, I'm focusing as you wanted me to do, Patrick. We're focused on eastern North Carolina because that's the 94.3 listening area, 94.3 game listening area. So that's what we're focused on. Monday uh, is, is our timeline for direct impacts. Now, there will be an increased rip current threat as early as tomorrow, namely Saturday. So those along the coast, swimming is not recommended. I realize surfers do what they do, and I am not advocating that at all. But people I know uh, do want to uh, to take advantage of waves, especially our surfers that do enjoy this, this type of environment. But please know that this is not an endorsement from David Sawyer, Patrick, or anyone to go in the water because of the dangerous or increasing danger to the surf condition with the rip current threat that's coming up the East Coast. Uh, we're talking with uh, First Alert Weather Meteorologist David Sawyer from uh, Channel 9. Hurricane Isaias is, again, how I'm going to go with the hurricane coming. Uh, all right, Very so uh, it, it could make landfall, it looks like, possibly along Florida, maybe even South Carolina before it, it uh, makes landfall in the Wilmington area. Perfect, perfect segue, Patrick, in our conversation, as, as I do enjoy that type of dialogue with you. Your next question is spot on with exactly what is possibly going to bring lower uh, wind field uh, in terms of intensity by the time it gets here. The latest forecast, as you're pointing out, Patrick, is uh, based on the official forecast track of this a storm, which is currently a hurricane with 75 mile per hour winds, moving and grazing the Florida, the Florida East Coast. And if the center were to get, let's say, make landfall around Melbourne, Florida, which is about the midway point of the Florida East Coast, that would tend to weaken the storm. What's what's also important to note is there are upper level winds that are expected to start interacting with the with the hurricane. And hurricanes don't like upper-level winds because they chop off the thunderstorms, which thunderstorms is what fuels a tropical system, whether it be a tropical storm or even a hurricane. So what we were expecting, uh, the very latest right now, is if it does make a landfall or a graze, if you will, along the Florida East Coast, which I I think, Patrick, that is very possible, certainly not uh, wanting – uh, to make landfall anywhere in terms of bringing danger to any part of, of mm-hmm. uh, land masses. But but just looking at it realistically as the latest forecast, I believe I'm, I'm leaning toward a graze or a possible landfall along the Florida coast. And as you pointed out, Patrick, that in turn is going to lower the intensity, meaning the storm will weaken when you combine the landfall with these upper level winds which will bring a little bit of disorganization to the circulation of this tropical system. But I do want to emphasize that this does not mean we let our guard down. Uh, Patrick, I believe, as of the latest information, and of course I've been continuing to study the very latest as it's been becoming available since this has become a possible threat, Mm -hmm. uh, I am getting increasingly confident that we are going to have direct impacts, meaning that the center could uh, say cross over the Cape Fear area, which is near Wilmington, and uh, essentially track right up U- uh, U.S. Highway 17. 
Uh, which mm. would then, and I do not, yes, sir. And then I, I want to really be careful the way I say this next couple of these next couple of sentences. If this were to happen, and I want to emphasize, if this track were to happen and the center of the system moves up Highway 17, those to the east of US 17, that would mean the coastal counties of eastern North Carolina, would have more uh, winds. They would have stronger winds on the right side of the forward moving storm. There would be more of a threat of flooding rainfall to the east of U.S. 17. And then, of course, the big question is, what about, you know, west of U.S. 17? Usually, as, as again, just from a meteorological perspective, the, this, the areas that are to the west or to the left of a forward moving storm, the winds are not as strong, but I, I could easily see winds exceeding 40 miles per hour even in areas farther inland like Kinston, Greenville, Williamson, yeah. over toward Goldsboro and Rocky Mount. Uh, and then, you know, again, in, in, in just a moment, as you continue to lead our conversation, I can certainly talk about other impacts from rains and that type of thing. But I wanted to pause right there to see if you had any further questions yeah. about well, the latest as far as the track. Here, here's the, the thing, again, I think you, you've kind of outlined that beautifully with landmarks and, and towns and cities. Um what what would obviously this weekend you got to batten down the hatches uh, get your property ready a, a lot of people uh in our audience have coastal interests uh interest yes, along sir. the sounds so uh, what is the time frame to go kind of prepare your 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 interest or your properties uh wherever they may be along our coastline uh before we start to see things really go downhill what what's that window from right now Great question, Patrick. Tomorrow is definitely your opportunity. If you have interest along the coast of North Carolina, you definitely want to make those hurricane tropical storm th uh, preps right now, uh, tonight and tomorrow, because from Sunday, conditions will start to deteriorate, especially as we move into Sunday night. And then things should be completely uh, your preparation should be completely done, I, I would say, by Sunday night at the very, very latest in order to allow this storm that is expected to move through on Monday to pass through. And I would like to also uh, add, Patrick, that I'm getting increasingly confident, encouraged, increasingly confident that the storm is not going to stall. In fact, it's expected to pick up forward speed. Oh, good. <laughs> now, there's yes, sir. Now, there's two ways we can look at that. It's good to know that the storm will not linger. It does not look to linger over eastern North Carolina like Hurricane Florence did a couple of years ago. That was not a good situation with the slow-moving conditions of Florence, even though Florence was a Category 1. Patrick, as you remember, uh, those to the south of the 94-3, the game listening area, Wilmington, as one example. You know, that long-term fetch and that, that long, slow, that long-time slow-moving storm, that's what really, really can pile up the rain and also cause... Uh, very, very high long-term winds. This does not look like it's going to be a long-term event. It's going to be just on Monday and really looking more and more likely like it's out of here by Tuesday, which is great news overall. But while the storm is taking place, I think this is important to point out, Patrick, for those to the right side of the line of the center, what that means, again, is anything to the right side of the forward-moving storm will have the greater impacts well, Patrick, if you let's say this storm increases in forward speed to say 30 to 35 miles per hour. Well, mm -hmm. that means those those winds on the right side of the forward moving storm are actually going to be accelerated. So mm -hmm. that is why it's so important to note the actual path and the track of the center, because those to the right side of the forward moving storm or to the east, in this case, the east of the forward moving storm, and right now, I'm drawing that line essentially along Highway U.S. Highway 17. But but to our, all of our listeners, I I really want to encourage everyone to, of course, I know stay tuned. I know that sounds like a broken record, but it's so important because every new forecast run will have updated and refined information that will be extremely important to us. But as of the latest information, it's looking like east of U.S. 17 could have the higher winds. The, the bigger threat of, of severe weather like that could have tornadoes. I'm not implying that that's going to be a slam dunk guarantee, but I am pointing out that to the right side of that forward moving storm, and, and if it were to move up, say, the U.S. 17 corridor, those to the east, that would mean, of course, coastal counties would have the higher impacts. 
there would be some impacts, but lower impacts west of US 17 as I see it right now. Yeah, but that's still not couldn't be great. I mean, just a jog a certain direction could be problematic for Greenville. We, we do need to get a break Completely. in. I, yeah, I appreciate you mm-hmm. uh, taking a few minutes with us. Uh, we'll we'll check in with you Monday. Obviously, I know you're, you're probably going to be pressed into uh, uh, service as you and your colleagues are at uh, First yes, Weather uh, WNCT. But uh, we'll, we'll try to ke- connect with you on Monday and get an update of what's going on. Patrick, always a, always a pleasure to be a part of your program and to uh, let let our listeners know the very latest. And thank you for, for the privilege of being a resource for you, Patrick. Thank you. Great to have you on. Uh, meteorologist David Sawyer, Coach Sawyer, as I call him, uh, with us here, uh, First Alert Weather C- uh, Center for uh, uh, WNCT-TV9. All right, uh, let's grab a break. We'll come back. Uh, I think we're going to be able to get uh, our guy, Guy Singer, on with us, uh, plus Ben with an update all when we return on the Patrick Johnson Show. Pat Forty kind of slapping around uh, the ACC a little bit. Uh, reaction from Guy Singer next. You're listening to the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Ben Barham here for your 94.3 The Game Sports Update. Earlier today, ECU AD John Gilbert addressed the media about various topics regarding the 2020 football season. When asked about whether the Week 0 matchup against Marshall on August 29th was still a go, here was the AD's response. We are fortunate in that, you know, with Marshall, um, you know, they're losing the the pit game uh, that they have the same day we play South Carolina. So the the first couple weeks of the season are flexible in the event we make the decision, we can slide it back a couple weeks. ECU football head coach Mike Houston and the team wrapped up their first day of practice, and the coach made it very aware that this team looked very green, has a long way to go from a condition standpoint um, it's uh first time that we've been on the field together since last december uh in a, in a, in a football setting um it looked like it uh you know it's uh you know it looked like we've been uh, away from big john our strength conditioning staff for four months then ncaa has taken extra precautions to ensure social distancing implementing some changes for the 2020 football season overnight one of the changes included increasing the sidelines by 20 yards and only one, allowing one team captain per team for the pregame coin toss. From the NFL, the league is expected to take a huge financial hit if no fans are allowed in the stands for this season. It is expected that the league could lose around $5.5 billion, according to Forbes.com, based on 2018 attendance figures. Meanwhile, despite vying for a comeback, former All-Pro receiver Antonio Brown faces another huge obstacle as he will face an A-game suspension for the sexual assault allegations. The suspension still allows Brown to participate in preseason activities for any team that signs him. From baseball problems, the virus still persists as today's game between the Brewers and the Cardinals has been called off due to the two Cardinals testing positive for the coronavirus, bringing the league's total to eight games affected by the pandemic. Live action currently underway from the NBA. Both games currently underway at halftime. The Suns taking it to the Wizards 67-52. Devin Booker leads Phoenix with 17 points, while the Trailblazers in a little bit of a sluggish battle with the Grizzlies. Portland leading that game 68-60. CJ McCollum leads the Blazers with 19 points and four assists. At 6.30, the Celtics are set to take on the Bucks. Vegas currently has Milwaukee as the five-and-a-half-point favorites. Meanwhile, at 9-2 matchups set to tip off as the Kings battle the Spurs. San Antonio are the underdogs by two-and-a-half points. And the Rockets match up against the Mavs. Houston are the favorites in that one by only a point-and-a-half. Wrapping up from the NHL's bubble in Toronto, it's reported that all-star defenseman Dougie Hamilton will not suit up for the Hurricanes matchup against the Rangers tomorrow. Hamilton suffered from a broken leg that sidelined him for most of the season. The organization remains optimistic for his return as he'll be able to participate and skate in practice. If you're 94 through the game sports update, I'm Ben Barham. Geisinger, accsports.com, Sports Channel 8, the radio show inside of a month of, uh, or I guess about a month from that returning to our friends up at 99.9 The Fan and uh, Brian uh, talking uh, hoops, talking some ACC with us here as uh, we catch up uh, with him. Brian, thanks for taking a few minutes. Always uh, nice to talk to you, my friend. 
Yeah, always, anytime. I'm uh, I'm doing well. How about yourself? We're hanging in there. Uh, it's the yeah. uh, it's been the Take the care. longest. This month's been the longest three years, I think, of uh, my life. So yeah. it's. Uh, yeah. But that's the way it's been for everybody here. Uh, hey, a, a lot of things to talk about, including uh, this Pat Forty article that we referenced a little earlier in the show. And the reason uh, I wanted to bring that up with you, because you initially turned my attention to this. So uh, let me kind of give you my theory on this. You know, there was the, the reporting, and we, even people on this show that we had as guests were talking about it, that the ACC and the SEC had come to an agreement to work together on a, a schedule, the 10 conference games, which they both have scheduled, uh, but then holding off the one non-conference game, like the ACC is doing, where they would you know, still allow for those traditional rivals, Clemson, South Carolina, Louisville, Kentucky, et cetera. Uh, and you could preserve UNC Auburn, potentially. Uh, NC State, Mississippi State. But mm -hmm. the SEC, you know, obviously went their own direction. And when that ACC announcement came out and it wasn't in unison, I thought something was afoot. I, I kind of looked at it as the SEC was in, in their own little way maybe they didn't sign off on this to begin with. And in their own little way, they wanted to kind of, you know, show the ACC a little bit, you know, who, at least in the SEC's mind, uh, is the big dog, you know, the, the, the big dog on the street, if you will. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. So what, what's your reaction to that? It's, um, yeah, man, it's interesting. I mean, the, the middle of this week, and, and I'm far more plugged into the ACC stuff than I am with the, the SEC stuff. Like, I was sort of reacting to that almost on delay. And I feel like if you have, you know, any lag time with anything these days, um, you're probably missing something. Uh, just the, the news cycle, how, how it moves, and especially with these college sports leagues trying to maybe get a football season off the ground amid uh, COVID. Um, so, yeah, it just it, the middle of this week was so strange at least for the ACC, because going, you know, Monday and Tuesday, there was some thought that, yeah, Wednesday there's going to be a decision on the 29th. And then the day before, I guess on that Tuesday, I should say, there was another report, I want to say for maybe Brett McMurphy of Stadium saying, you know, don't expect there to be a decision right. on Wednesday, maybe later in this week, maybe next week after the next NCAA Board of Governors meeting, which was on August 4th. And then it, I think it was Wednesday morning, Adrian Adelson came out with a report saying, no, 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 you could expect a decision today. And then sure enough, you know, by the end of the, of the, of the work day, uh, you know, the ACC had announced. And I wonder, I mean, there's a lot of key points where I could see where maybe there were some differences between the conferences, like the ACC is going to start up, what, September 12th. And I think maybe even some other games, maybe on around the 7th of September as well, too. And the SEC is not starting until September 26th, so mm -hmm. maybe there were some incongruencies there. Um, you know, the ACC had set up their, you know, the only way the teams in the ACC, all 15 teams now, including Notre Dame, can have um, one of these non-conference games is it has to be played in the home state of, of the ACC team. Right. And it has to, the, the, the whatever the, the other conferences that teams from, they have to sort of like comply with whatever the ACC's testing standards are. Now, some of these rivalry games are already in-state, right? So you've got Georgia, Georgia Tech, mm -hmm. Clemson, South Carolina. So that, that helps. But then certainly there were some matchups that were um, that are not traditional rivalries that were out of state. Like you said, NC State, Mississippi State. So I, I wonder if maybe that was another sticking point. And look, was that like something the ACC did in, intentionally to force the SEC's hand? Or was it that was just, you know, something they were refusing to, to break on because they thought it was, important for safety standards um you know i'm not entirely sure i but it does seem like a lot of these leagues um all all five power fives um you know were, were at different points in time acting in, in their own self-interest as one would probably expect amid a um a totally crazy and unprecedented scenario here we've got brian geisinger accsports.com on the line with us here uh, a, a couple of things. Forty kind of writes in here that the SEC made their decision, and mm -hmm. as a result, the uh, the ACC then makes their announcement Wednesday. So, in other words, word yeah. out on what the SEC was going to do. The ACC, who had been acting in good faith reportedly with the SEC, yeah. I assume there was some sort of breakdown. If those negotiations were even serious at all, uh, there was some sort of breakdown. And 
the ACC reacted and put out this this schedule, mm-hmm. but left on. And again, I'm kind of you know my own theory into what Forty's reporting here. They left on that that uh, interesting non-conference opportunity, which again, you know, based right. on original reporting from kind of ACC sources, that was going to be the crossover date between the two conferences. Right, uh, right. You know, and again, South Carolina wanted to be appeared to be the only one that wanted to preserve that opportunity. The SEC goes their direction. Uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, though. This just goes to show, even at that so-called P5 level, uh, this is dog-eat-dog. Nobody... 100%. You know, we can, for for convenience sake, we can group them in there. But those league offices and the the commissioners, their agendas are very different. 100%. Yeah, I mean, like, the the, even if you go back to early July, and, uh, you know, at the time, it seemed like the, the reporting was that all five Power Five leagues we're, we're working like, you know, with one another in congruency, uh, you know, step in step. And then all of a sudden the big 10 decides we're going to go with the conference only schedule. And then pretty quickly after that, the PAC 12 followed suit. Um, the big 12 is still in their own world where they're going to go with you know, a full 12 game schedule. And so I think that sort of cornered the ACC and the SEC is sort of like the last two. And there's this, you know, they're, they're regional, they're, they're close to one another. And then there are sort of these, Nat, these natural uh, geographical rivalries that have been played for you know decades or centuries <laughs> at this point now or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and then but yeah, it's still it, like what happened was the SEC athletic directors. Now there was not consensus, but SEC athletic directors basically came to the conclusion that they were okay with the ten game conference only schedule. But SEC like presidents and chancellors, like that sort of like executive board group had yet to vote on it. Um, and in, in that, in that time, that's when the ACC came forth with their, with their 11 game, 10 plus one schedule. Um, so yeah, I think, look, you, you can, you can read that, I think in a variety of different ways, I think depending on your allegiance, um, you know, you, you'll either credit the, the ACC or, or you'll be mad at them, or you'll just say like, Hey, look, everyone's reading too much into this to begin with. And, these leagues need to look out for themselves. Um, and it, yeah, man, like it's interesting. Like it, it was pretty obvious from the start of this, that college sports does not have a true defining like executive voice right over the top sure. of the entire thing. It's a huge tent. Well, and I, Brian, I'm going to go back to what I taught, what I said to Gilio earlier in the week when we had him on Joe Gilio. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there are people, you know, we hear even Krzyzewski talk about a czar for college basketball. And again, I, I like to think that's him lobbying for a post-Duke uh, assignment yeah. in a way. And, you know, we talk about A lot of people talk. You know who never talks about one unified voice for college sports? The commissioners. They, yeah. That's the last thing. They, th- those are the most powerful guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. Th- there's not like there's a ton of them either. I mean, those are the power brokers in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those especially the five of the uh... – of the, of the Power Five conferences, and and look, you know, we we all know it. It was reported a couple months ago. John Swafford is uh, retiring at the end of mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the twenty 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 one uh, you know school athletic calendar year too. So, um, you know, I'm sure he's trying to uh, you know sort of like set the standard for what will be potentially, assuming they're able to, this is actually able to take place. Will be the final football season that he that he oversees uh, after yeah. you know decades of, of sort of like successfully guiding the ACC. But yeah, that's a good point you bring up. Like right now, the the power brokers in this. I mean, there are certainly some important people that work for the NCAA. Oh, sure, but the sure. but the Power Five commissioners, um, yeah, they they hold they hold a lot of a lot of cachet. And um, well, and, so, yeah, the, and this shows and this shows they do not hold uh, similar interests. They can ha- they have a lot of cachet. Right. It, it, right. They they are not as aligned as uh, some would have you believe. At least when it comes to football, uh, we got Brian Geisinger, ACCSports.com. Couple uh, one, one other thing with this. Of course, you know our interest with ECU uh, here quite obviously. Uh, it was announced uh, by the commissioner last Thursday when we had him on live that uh, the standard of testing with that with the American, which does you know fancy themselves in the group of the aforementioned P five. Um, right that their testing standards are similar to that of the SEC, ACC at all. So, you know, I think when we start coming up with fantasy matchups in this, 
and you look at what maybe one of the big four might do as far mm-hmm. as uh, that non-conference in-state game, it's not a slam dunk. They're going to go schedule Gardner-Webb or right. or Elon or whoever because, again, the testing standards. And if ECU's testing standards, and I'm not sure what go, what's going on at App State, but mm-hmm. you know if the ECU testing standards because of being in the American are similar, that seems to be a pretty good marriage to me for one of those schools if they choose, Wake Duke, uh, UNC Chapel Hill or State, to fill their, their dance card with the Pirates potentially. Yeah, I think that's actually a good point. Um, and and, and I'm, it's, I think it's without without sort of knowing what happened in Sunbelt testing standards look like, I think they're, they fit into this this this, uh, this hole as well too potentially. It's like you have of, of any state in the ACC footprint, there are, you know, there are more schools, universities in North Carolina than any other state uh, in, throughout the league. You have four of them here. Um, and again, if, if all four of those teams are going to have some sort of, you know, non-conference contest, um, and if they're looking around and, and they want someone, if they think it's a good idea to have that non-conference uh, opponent come from in-state as opposed to having someone come from out-of-state and, and making sure that there's uh, compliance with testing policies and stuff like that, then I, I certainly think ECU, uh, you know, a, a, a good team, a good program, you know, a name brand in, in college football, along with that, I think both of them should have appeal as, um, as you know, potential fill-ins for that, that like that flex 11th uh, non-conference game. Well, I think it'd be good, and I, I think it could lead, you know, I, I maybe see it being Duke. I actually feel like NC State might get I mean, there is a recent history there, and, and yeah. you know, maybe they yeah, could they add, a, yeah, add a couple games onto their – there, uh, you know, any any agreement that exists now, or, or renew an agreement, um, yeah. But I, 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 Wake, I feel like Mike would go the route of App if the testing matches up. Because, yeah, and I think because they were there's, a, there's a history, to... as you know, as a Winston, as a proud three three six Winston Salem guy, <laughs> there is a history there between those two playing traditionally year in year. Yes, absolutely. And and once upon a time, App. Uh, this is even before App became sort of the. Uh, a, a, you know the, the power that it, you know that it really finished up within the FCS and and then you know obviously they've they've transitioned perfectly to the Sun Belt where they've become a perennial contender. But yeah, like this is in the Jim Caldwell Wake Forest days. Uh, <laughs> matchups with App State were uh, were not usually a super pleasant uh, experience, and I think there's a reason why uh, because of the tenacity of those games. I think there's a reason why uh, Wake. For a period of time, stop playing, wanting to schedule Appalachian State, which I think is maybe something ECU fans can attest to seeing with their own program yeah. uh, throughout various times. Um, but I, but I also believe too, Appen and Wake were scheduled to play this year already. So I could see them. I could see for a variety of reasons why those two teams would want to keep that yeah. um, keep that game alive as the the eleventh non conference game for for Wake Forest. Right, thanks for taking a few minutes with us this afternoon. Anytime. All right, there he goes, Brian Geisinger. Um, <clears throat> that, of course, uh, you know, if ECU adds a game and there's a possibility, uh, I don't know how the money situation would work, but obviously John Gilbert saying today that right now he feels pretty good at 10. And and I kind of thought that might be, you know, whatever the SEC did, even though, I, again, I was convinced they were going to try to play 12 games in that conference. Uh, I, I feel pretty good about the fact that, you know, that, that feels like the American – 10 is a good number for them. We'd gotten the indication uh, when uh, the commissioner was on radio in Houston that uh, the eight conference games, the two non-conference might be the way to go. So we'll see. Uh, Some uh, news continues to break here. Rob Manfred uh, telling the uh, head of the uh, Players Association, MLBPA, uh, and their executive director, Tony Clark, that uh, if the sport doesn't do a better job of managing the coronavirus, it could shut down the season, could shut down for the season. Uh, Ken Rosenthal tweeting in the last 15 minutes, COVID testing from MLB last week, uh, nearly 12,000 samples, 29 new positives or, uh, two tenths of a percent, 20 positives were players, nine were staff members and 21 of the 29 positives for one, one club. So in other words, the, uh, Marlins need to, to stay out of the club, right? No more social distancing. Uh, and a new Monday Night Football uh, booth. Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick. Uh, Greasy and Levy worked a lot of college games together. Uh, you know, you could have put anybody in there and it would have been an upgrade over the last year or two, right? 
Uh, let's uh, hit a couple of cuts here before we go. Um, John Gilbert today opened the uh, post-ECU practice presser. Uh, and uh, he was asked about concerns, you know, there are a lot of comparisons to MLB and college football and concerns with travel within the American footprint to, to maybe states that are COVID hotspots. Florida kind of comes to mind. Uh, Texas had an uptick there for a while. Um, uh, obviously, Pennsylvania. So, I mean, there, there could be with uh, teams traveling to different places around the league and ECU having to travel uh, to Florida uh, this year. Uh, and to Pennsylvania this year, for example, you know, could there be some concerns over those COVID hotspots? This is what uh, John Gilbert had to say. It is a concern from for everyone because there are certain states and certain institutions where they they are not uh, fully opened or or are still operating uh, under some significant restrictions. And then obviously there's some states where. Uh, if you travel to those states, you, you know, you could have to quarantine for periods of time, you know, depending on the school and the location. Well, and again, if the testing is of a high standard and uniform across the league, that might uh, eliminate some of those concerns. Uh, John Gilbert uh, had some some good natured ribbing today with your humble correspondent. Do we have that cut, Ben, from today? Play it. One of the things that we've been working on extensively, though, uh, is the press box and how we're going to space that out. And, and I'm really uh, sorry to say that w- we have already selected who can attend and who cannot. And Patrick, you, you're one of the guys that, that is going to be left outside. You're, you're, you, you didn't make the cut. Now, I have a few people that, that uh, we could auction off if you're willing to take their place. Uh, or, or maybe they join the Pirate Club and we could get you in that way. I can't afford the auction. Does he know where we where I work? Can't afford the auction. He didn't say anything about me, though. <laughs> no, that's true. You're fine, Ben. He, he we got to get him saying, "Hey, Ben, maybe." Uh, okay. Uh, thanks to uh, David Sawyer. Thanks to Brian, uh, Brian Geisinger. Ben Byram, great job as always. Uh, stay safe out there this weekend. Get your preps done, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, be getting through this Monday. Just stay okay. Have a great weekend.